just in my experience, people from all types of cycling are welcome and all abilities and all genders. It doesn't matter how good or bad you are, how fast or slow you are. It's like a big party most of the times. And I hope that never changes. Welcome to the Channel Mastery Podcast. If you're a specialty business and brand leader obsessed with understanding what the most effective channels are today to connect with, serve, and sell to your target consumers, then you've just found the perfect podcast and community. My name is Kristen Carpenter, and I'm your host and the founder of Verde Brand Communications, the presenting sponsor of Channel Mastery. Verde created the Channel Mastery Podcast to level the playing field for the specialty brands we serve. Every week on this show, we study how consumer preferences are changing and the evolving channels they like to use to engage with their favorite brands. Once again, welcome to Channel Mastery and subscribe today. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast. I am absolutely stoked today to introduce Jason O'Mahony to you, who is the founder of Gravel Cyclists. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Kristen. And you like to be called Jom, is that right? J-O-M? J-O-M, correct. Uh, my surname, which you just pronounced O'Mahony, is often butchered uh, in the United States, so I said it's really much easier to go by J-O-M. Incidentally, I learned how to pronounce my surname in this country when I watched Police Academy years ago. <laughs> That's awesome. Officer O'Mahony. Officer Mahoney, yeah. And it is an absolute American treasure in the bastion of American who knows what. But anyways, here we are. Yes. <laughs> And we are recording this at a very precarious time. Obviously, we're just about to head into April of 2020, and we are not going to talk about the COVID-19 virus. We thought everybody could use a nice break. I will be asking a couple questions about it around how Jason is working to serve his audience during this time, because I think it is a tricky time, and how could I not ask him that being a, a leading member of the gravel cycling press. But at the same time, we really want to just talk about just gravel and kind of take our minds off it a little bit and like learn a little bit more about how you came into what you're doing and, and your vision for it and how things are changing, et cetera. So why don't we start by having you tell my amazing audience about your background and how you founded Gravel Cyclist? All right. I'll try and give you the Cliff Notes version. Otherwise, I'll be here all day. I got into cycling way back in 1991 and in Australia. I'm originally from Australia. I moved to the United States around about 1998. I'm a legitimate dual citizen. I hold two passports, so all legal. I really loved cycling from that point on, and I was mostly into the road side of things. And when I moved to North Florida around 2004, I was finding it quite challenging to ride because of my regular job to ride uh, and get I guess, good training intervals and, and whatnot. So I met up with some friends and we started doing mindless loops of this office park not far from Gainesville. And after about 3,000 miles there one year, at nighttime, mind you, every Tuesday and uh, Thursday night, I swear I could see ruts being formed in the pavement. It's just this thin <laughs> existence of going around and around and around. And I said, man, this is still my head in. And that kind of led me to go exploring around the area. And I, I noticed all these dirt roads when I've been riding around in the daytime. And I started exploring those on a mountain bike initially. And that's kind of what 
ultimately led into me founding the website, although much later. That, that process I was talking about then happened around 2005, 2006. Awesome. I love that you could see ruts in the pavement. I mean, that's, that's a long time ago for gravel, oh my right? God. It is. I mean, but we had a lot of fun doing it. We used to call them winter vaults. I mean, people joke about the winters here in, in Florida. We actually get some pretty cold temperatures down here into the high 20s sometimes. And it's a really frigid cold. So if you're going to do training at that particular time, you had to have some friends to go do it with because there was no Zwift. There was very little internet, etc. Well, there was the internet, but it wasn't really developed tight to have online training, so to speak. So that's really interesting that you have been doing this for a long time since, you know, 2005 or six. I'm sure you've run into the same people I have in the cycling industry, like Ned Overend and et cetera, who are just like, yeah, I've been riding gravel since, you know, you were in fifth grade or whatever. Love Ned Overend. But point being is we have seen this genre of cycling blow up and you have literally been at the front of that wave. So I wanted to talk a little bit about what it was like for you to be kind of pushing the boulder uphill and then just have it like take on incredible traction and momentum. Well, initially, just real quick, the website, I started it back in August of 2014, I think. It was mostly intended to be a repository of my silly races and uh, training ride stories because back then I guess there was not really much idea of like what sort of bike to ride what sort of gearing to run that sort of stuff so I started writing these things down and then my website kind of got a following and I noticed also that you know it's the environment started changing later on particularly around maybe 2018 2017 when I saw a lot of faster riders professional maybe coming in and that definitely did change the landscape somewhat but it's also at the same time, I think, reinvigorated cycling because a lot of people were really tired of the road scene and a lot of negativity that comes along with that. Additionally, the gravel, for me, you get freedom. You get to go out on these roads that you normally would never, ever drive your car on because they're so bad and you get to see scenery you'll never see. And because of the car factor, which is a real deal in America, too much distracted driving, that's really been a thing, a big draw card for a lot of people to come across this sport as well. And also it's very encompassing. It's just in my experience, people from all types of cycling are welcome and all abilities and all genders. It doesn't matter how good or bad you are, how fast or slow you are. It's like a big party most of the times. And I hope that never changes. Oh my gosh, me too. And I think you're absolutely right. It's a little bit of the anti-road. Um, as I think about this year, 2020, and I know we'll get into this, but we might as well start talking about it now. But I, you know, we love our calendar. You have a calendar on your site that I think is literally like the Bible of what's happening in gravel. And, and I wanted to just ask specifically, like, here we are looking at events being postponed and delayed, but the headlines are really being taken up in the cycling press about what's happening on the world tour level. And it is unprecedented. Um, but at the same time, like, I for I and I am a devout. I watch everything. I read as much as I can. I just love cycling. But what I'm really hoping and holding out hope for is that some of these iconic gravel events actually take place. Because for us, not getting together with the community, I think is is almost going to be like mentally and emotionally wounding. In addition to just our like, let's face it, we're not going to be in the best shape, right? <laughs> I mean, maybe we will. If you look at Zwift, but we'll talk about that. But what are some of your thoughts just in terms of, I, I'm curious to know, like, when is the first 
like gravel event you did? What was one of the earlier ones that you did that you've really seen blow up? What are some that have kind of kept their character? What I'm trying to do here is understand how how the world can kind of see a really fast growing facet of a sport cycling that we're all trying to really keep pure and weird, you know? So I'm curious to know if you could kind of chime in on like when you jumped into the event fray and kind of how you've seen that developing lately. Around about, I think 2010 or 2011 was the first events I started doing. And most of them were on the East coast Uh, in particular, North Carolina. There was an event promoter. He's no longer promoting events. Unfortunately, his name was Andrew Stackhouse. And he ran a promotion company called Pirate Race Productions. I think it was called. And he had this race, which was a homage to the original Three Peaks cross race in um, the UK. It was called Three Peaks USA. And it was in Bannerville, North Carolina. And I'd ridden there quite a few times. So I left Gainesville with a mate of mine. We thought, okay, how bad can this thing be? So we weren't sure what bikes and what not to ride. So we rock up with cross bike because that's what you had back then, okay? And I had a pretty nice cross bike. Anyway, oh my God, this this race was so mental. It was it was basically like a, a Grand Euro race. The bike was completely insufficient. It was really a mountain bike race. And oh my God, I got scared straight so many times on some of the descents and whatnot. But it took me so far away from the, the road scene at the time. I thought, oh my God, even though I was complaining about almost dying on the descent and having to walk my bike up 22% rates, it was so much more fun than any road race I'd ever done. And I said, man, this is awesome. I said, you know, road racing, I'm done with that crap. And that was <laughs> the first time I said, like, I really got into that side of the sport. And another event that comes to mind that I think that's maintained its grassroots feel and it's never, ever charged an entry fee is our Manzo 100 in uh, Minnesota. It's often known as the granddaddy of all gravel races. Now, it's not going by that name anymore. And I think the original promoter has since walked away. I believe it's called the Haywood now. I had the opportunity to ride that race in 2017, I think it was. It was held in horrendous conditions, but that point aside, it was a fantastic event and one I would love to do again at some point in time. He didn't charge a single dime at that point in time. In fact, what I liked about it was the whole community, Spring Valley, Minnesota, were mainly the driving factor of that race. They were just glad to see people coming in, hanging out and spending money locally. And it used to draw on good weather days, 3,000 riders. It was basically a glorified Facebook event. Yeah, it's one of the biggest races in America. And I've seen media talk about all these monuments, which I think is kind of rubbish. But anyway, this is one of the best races going. And no little people know about it. So I always get born into this whole monument thing that that the big media craps on about. Let's talk about that. (laughs) Because I have heard that um, there are some... OG gravel cyclist journalists, shall we say, that have quite an opinion about just the popularity of gravel and how the endemic press has jumped in on that. I mean, obviously their readership, I'm sure, is hungry for that content too. But at the Mm. same time, can you weigh in on um, kind of what your thoughts are on that? Because I have a feeling you have quite an opinion there. Well, I'm not going to plug every single media entity out there, okay? But I will mention one, and one is Vela News. And I've got a couple of acquaintances who work there. But I noticed they had a big shift this year towards covering gravel because mostly a lot of people were sick of reading about the road scene. 
And they, to me, brought across a roadie flavor to the gravel, which does not sit well at all with me. I mean, and they has, had this list of monuments of gravel. And there's a couple of those races that I run by friends of mine. So there's, I'm not dissing those events, but just the way they covered it, I thought it was was rubbish, honestly. It's this glorifying road racing in a gravel form. And they were talking about the pros that are going there. I'm thinking, you know what, man, I don't care about the pros who are going there. I, I'm, I'm there to have a good experience and talk to regular people. I'm more interested in talking to the man or woman who finished last in the race. I mean, they're just out there having fun. Who cares about some dude who retired last week as a pro and was smashing it? I mean, I have zero interest in reading about that sort of stuff. In fact, there's one pro, I'm not going to mention his name, but now he's training harder than ever. And I say, why? To beat up on guys like me with a regular job as well? Seriously, man? So that sort of stuff... I worry about that taking away from the grassroots aspect because I was starting to see a, a divisive line where you had these big events and then you had these smaller events, which I think will still maintain their feel and the bigger events will draw more of the roadie crowd and maybe the, the race heroes who want to go try to beat up on some of the ex-pros. So that's fine. There's enough for everyone to go around, but definitely seeing some changes. Yeah, for sure. And we can even look at, and and I do value so much what you said about, you know, the monuments. It's almost as though they're, they're grafting on a genre of cycling journalism onto a different, you know, facet of the sport in a way that I think they're almost feeling like they're making it understandable to their audience that way. When in actuality, it's, I don't think it's an apples to apples comparison at all. And I think the, honestly, even the pros that have crossed over to do it, would tell you the same thing. And I also just want to say Alison Tetrick was somebody who's been doing this for years and years. And it's not like the most recent bumper crop of, of pro cyclists who are now doing this Correct. are like pioneering something. Correct. Yeah, Alison's been around a long time. She's a lovely lady. I've had the pleasure of meeting her several times and uh, she likes to have a beer or two. I like her a lot. Nice girl. <laughs> and very funny. Her Twitter feed is never, ever disappoints. Um, so I'm curious, first of all, you're drinking a Jolt Cola, and I wasn't sure that that, that brand even existed anymore. What's going on with that? <laughs> so um, Jolt remanufactured the line a couple of years ago. I'm not actually sure who was the company behind it. And I used to be an addict of Jolt Cola when I was a younger lad. So I acquired quite a stash for not a lot of money, and I only use it usually as race fuel. So for today's interview, I'm getting suitably jacked on Jolt. I usually don't <laughs> uh, touch caffeine. I have pretty average coffee in the house. In fact, if I do race, I often use the Jolt, like I said, or I take a bowl of oatmeal and straight black coffee, and I call it coffee meal. It's amazing. Oh, my gosh. That's actually a really good idea. It is. So, so you heard a first tier. Anyone steals it, it's my idea, okay? Okay, we could trademark that. Credit cred- cred- to me, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I'm also, obviously we don't need to get into your day job necessarily, but I do think it's incredibly proud that you've built the community that you have and the media empire, if you will, that you have around, <laughs> I know, I knew I was waiting empire. for that. Well, I mean, you. I think in a lot of ways, you've really kind of established a stamp on this type of journalism and cycling, but- I'm sure one of the things that has been, you know, as an ex-journalist, one of the things that probably has also stood out as odd for you lately is the fact that you're getting wined and dined and flown all over internationally for product launches. Talk about what it's like to be a gravel journalist today with the press trip opportunities, because that sure is, you know, what didn't happen three or four years ago, I'm sure. (laughs) Well, I never started the website with that that intent ever in mind. In fact, the first time I was contacted, 
uh, by Pali Seidels to do a bike review. It's like, seriously? And I thought to myself, okay, I have no idea how to review a bike. I'm going to look at how these other people are doing it. And I found a way that I thought worked for me, being genuine and not trying to sell advertising. The bike launch is uh, pretty amazing. I've been very flattered and been to some very cool locations in this year and last year particularly. In fact, I just returned from Spain just before the coronavirus broke out for a bike launch. I can't talk about it right now. It's embargoed. And that's just blown my mind. Um, These are basically like fantasy cycling camps most of the time. You wind the dine, you get to ride really nice bikes in amazing areas, and uh, it's all covered by the company. And then you go home and you write about it. It's, um, yeah, pretty amazing, actually. I remember those years, Jason. They were some of the best of my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice perk, but a lot of people don't realize, okay, that's a nice perk, but it, it wasn't like this happened overnight. I put a lot of work into this website. Yeah. You mentioned about my – I have a regular job. I don't want to mention what I do for work. It's I don't work for the CIA, I promise you that. But, Pretty sure uh, you're not a police officer, even though no, you were quoting no, that movie not earlier. Not a police officer. Uh, <laughs> I actually do. My regular work is actually boring IT-related stuff. But anyway, that point aside, I get a lot of vacation time from my job, and which I can meter out. I have a special spreadsheet to meter out my vacation time so I can attend events. And my, my boss, he's a good bloke. He knows what I get up to sometimes. The other thing is I'm not married and I've got no kids, in fact, I'm probably the most eligible bachelor in gravel cycling. I had to plug myself there. You like that? <laughs> and uh, but, um, so it's well, my life's a bit unrealistic compared to most people. I've got a lot of free time, but since the site's kind of grown and grown, etc., I've been really focused on just pumping out content and not just garbage. I mean, I get a lot of press releases and stuff and whatnot because my site has become a hub of information for a lot of people. But uh, my reviews in particular, people like that. And they also like my ride experience videos. I ride by myself a lot. So I've been doing this social distancing thing for a long time. Um, (laughs) In the middle of nowhere, I did some really awesome rides back in the start of January 2020 in Australia on the edge of the outback. And, uh, oh, my God, all I saw was kangaroos out there. It's amazing. I watched some of that and it's great footage. I also just want to let anybody and everybody know who's listening to this, who might be dedicated indoor training right now, which so many of us are. Jason has posted some fantastic 90 minute, which is perfect distance uh, or length rather. So you've got the DK, you've got steamboat and you just posted one more, which was was the crusher and the Tasha. That's right. I'm very fortunate. The videos I've always posted have been edited down um, for YouTube, basically 10 minutes tops. But I had all this stash of video and I had this idea that came from another friend of mine. And I said, what if I made some trainer videos? And ironically, COVID broke out and now it's worked out pretty well. So I've got, oh my God, at least 50 event videos probably. I've got terabytes of data. Good problem to have. That is a great problem to have. So make sure you check those out because literally it's it's a lot better than, I mean, Watopia is great and all, but I really, it's great for me because I'm supposed to be doing these events, assuming they happen. And mm-hmm. I've never done DK. I've never done Crusher. I have done Steamboat and it's literally, I mean, yes, they pay me to say this, but it's hands down a fantastic event. And then obviously now Verde is working with Lifetime. So we have Pressure. We have Big Sugar and DK on our calendar, which is exciting. Yeah, I really, really hope that we can get together. And and just on that note, um, you guys can probably see that that Jason's wearing a gravel cyclist T-shirt. He was wearing one that said "Gravel Cycling's Most Eligible Bachelor," but I made him change right before we hit play. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my God. Sorry. I had to put that in there. <laughs> so I wanted to um, also ask a couple of questions. First of all, about you just brought up um, obviously the fact that these I did and you did about the races potentially not happening. You saw that we launched recently, the just a couple of days ago now, that the Dirty Kansas launched a, it's almost like we took our camp format and we're putting it into an online party where people can still get the content. So our 100 campers can still actually, they get the content free. And there is an actual blueprint in there for that we present at the camp. So there's, there's actually like resourceful information in there too, but we've really worked hard to build in like a very entertaining content lineup over the three days of this online event. And thank you for posting that. But the whole purpose of that is to try and bring people together. And we have some pretty, I think they're quite on brand and, and Michelle Duffy and Christy Moan have had a great time pulling that together. <laughs> so thank you for posting that. But what else do you think that we can do to kind of bring this community together? Because you're obviously a media entity in and of yourself. I'm curious to know like what you're seeing out there in the landscape. Aside from people getting together on Zwift or potentially this summit that we're hosting, like what are some of the things that you think are going to work to get keep people connected during this time? Well, for me, uh, I made one announcement about COVID because I don't really want to keep talking about it. We know it's out there. So I want to focus on the positive. So just real quick, I did, my announcement was basically people try and refrain from doing group rides. It's not a good idea right now. That's the only thing I had to say about the, the, the issue. So moving on from there, I'm focusing on hammering out as much content as possible, whether it's ride videos, uh, press releases, silly stories, anything. Basically, I think people are looking to be engaged. They want to be, they want good news. They don't want to keep hearing about COVID-19. Yeah. So I'm in the fortunate situation of sitting on a massive pile of content. I have the world's worst problem, which I love. So it's just a matter of time me pumping this stuff out. So I'm going to keep just pumping out content and showing, unfortunately, I can ride still outdoors. So on my Instagram account, I'm posting photographs of riding bikes, scenery and whatnot. So just trying to keep people engaged and distracted from the issue at hand. And I agree. I think that's exactly what we should be doing because this is our happy place. So totally is. So let's talk about your channels. Obviously, you've had a lot of interesting growth over the past couple of years, especially I'm sure from an audience standpoint. And I know that you're working over with Craig at, at his podcast. Let's talk about that partnership. Let's talk about some of the things that you've seen spike in terms of like the way people are engaging with and consuming your content, where your audience is growing today. Okay. So when I started the website, I thought, hmm, I should probably do some social media because who's going to find the website? So I started with Facebook for starters, and it, that's been a, a slow platform to grow. It's gotten quite a lot now, but it was initially pretty slow. Then another friend of mine said I should do Instagram, and I thought, hang on, isn't that for like millennial kiddies? I don't know. So <laughs> I, started, yeah, I started doing Instagram a while ago, probably about four years ago, I think it was. It started going berserk about – uh, a year and a half ago, I'm up to six, I'm almost sixty five thousand followers. Now my focus, wow. yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty stoked by that. And mine's been purely organic. There's no paid subscribers or paid followers any of that rubbish. My focus is on bike photographs and scenery. And once in a while, you might see me in a photograph where I use my drone to you show me riding a review bike. Okay, I, I'm not into selfies. I don't like. I see a lot of you know, channels and maybe not like the cycling, they got selfies and whatnot. It's like, okay, I don't want to see narcissism, Bill. I'm here to look at cool bike photographs and whatnot. So that's my focus. And also I use Instagram as a teaser to generate interest from my reviews. So 
a lot of times I'll post a, a video on YouTube of me unboxing a bike and talking about the key features, real short video, and then I will encourage people to check out Instagram and I'll post teasers of me riding the bike during the review process until the review comes out. I think I'm the only guy doing that, so hopefully no one steals my idea because I don't know. I mean, I don't want to just go and see a review. I like to see what, what led up to the review. And I also do real-world reviews. My reviews aren't sitting around the bloody parking lot, riding a bike in circles and having a, a camera crew film me. It's me doing everything. So I, I think there's something to be said for that. How many miles do you put on a, a bike for a review on average? Or what are some of the things like, do you have an actual, I have to ride it for this long or in this many different conditions, et cetera? Honestly, I like to have the bike for at least six weeks because you're not going to get a, a, a proper opinion of a bike in two rides. That's, that's too hard to do. I mean, you could do a short term review, I guess, but still, I want to have a proper review. And honestly, I really like to have at least three months if the manufacturer is cool with that. Some manufacturers, they give me carte blanche. I had one manufacturer, I had to buy for 10 months. They didn't care. Uh, the review came out at some point. They just liked seeing the posting on Instagram and social media. So, and a lot of times I've got multiple bikes going on. In fact, oh my God, this hurts my head thinking about it. October last year, I stupidly agreed to have way too many bikes in my house at once. And there's a reason why I live alone. I mean, the bloody living room is full of bikes. So I had nine review bikes at once. It was got really overwhelming. I said, okay, this year, you're not going to have as much going on. So I've turned it down a little bit. But um, yeah, I re- the bike reviews I really enjoy doing because I'm a bike geek. And that, that's one of the big draw cards for me doing the website. And I'm really fortunate. I get sent some amazing bikes and all the latest gear to play with. And I haven't ridden any of my own bikes for quite some time. It's pretty embarrassing, actually. <laughs> you have, it sounds like you have just a, a fantastic job and you're super passionate about what you do. And I love that. I mean, I have a very dear friend who literally I've known for 25 years in Aaron Gully, who has run the Outside Magazine bike test forever. He's now freelance, but like he and his wife, Jen, would literally like get a box van and load a bunch of bikes in there and go down and have like whiskey and come. It's almost like a VRBO before they had VRBOs. <laughs> you know, he would invite people down to help him. And I just, I always loved his approach. And I love learning about how people write about and review, review gear because that's what I used to do when I was a journalist. I also think that sites like blister.com do a really good job with the super, super long form reviews. And they do take a long time reviewing. Are there any other sites out there like DC Rainmaker or any like outside of our industry? He's a little inside now, but like, are there any sites out there that maybe are in the automotive industry or some other industry that you think do just a great job with reviews? Yeah, well, first of all, DC Rainmaker, that guy, I had the pleasure of meeting him in Australia this year. He has set the benchmark for yeah. anything related to electronics. I mean, I said, I don't even want to review electronics. It's such a pain in the bum. So that's his domain. But um, I, I watch, um, I'm a bit of a car nut to some degree, and there's a reviewer I noticed a couple of years ago. He's quite well known. His name is Doug De Niro. His style is he just wears shorts and T-shirt like me. And I looked at how he did his videos. I said, that's how I'm going to model my bike reviews. Just be very genuine. Try and cover as much detail as you can. But the difference is um, I've also incorporated drone technology into my videos. Uh, I find that people... Like if I look at a magazine review, it's like, oh, this is boring. It's 2D. I was like, what a, you know, come on. So I want to see video of me riding the bike. That's what I always thought about it. And when the drone technology became available, 
it's like this is my own private helicopter. This is amazing. Yeah. So I've been leveraging that big time and different other different camera angles. I've got a few other little cameras I use. I'm not going to give all my secrets away. Yeah, I try and get creative because most of the reviews I see are boring. And I think you need to have some personality in there as well. I don't want to drone on in a monotone voice saying, oh, this boy's got amazing compliance. Like, oh, if I ever hear that word one more time, that is the most overused C word in cycling journalism, compliance <laughs> and, and supple. So can you think of some different words, people, seriously? So yeah. I try and avoid using those words totally. But um, You bring yeah. up such an important point for my audience, which is the humanization of the process, okay? Right. When people see formulaic, they actually are getting – very smart and they know they're being, it's almost like the new way to um, stuff keywords into a headline is to make a review formulaic. And I literally think that there's a lot of content creators out there who feel that there is an approach you have to follow. And anybody who steers away from that and brings their personal touch to it, I think if assuming they have a good personality, which you do, because sometimes you're just like, really? <laughs> that joke was not funny or can you please say, tell me a joke or something? I mean, we are not curing cancer. This is gravel cycling. Like we want to have fun. And I just feel that, you know, some of the commercials, for example, I've seen specialized producing awesome fun on YouTube and we'll put links in the podcast notes, but like anything you could do to humanize it, I think is what's important, which I think is why this visual content is becoming incredibly important. And of course, we're not going to drone on and on about COVID, but coming out of this as a as a communications professional owning an agency, it is literally going to be video or nothing else. I think people are just completely tethered to their browsers. And I know that it's going to change consumer behavior, how we research products and how we join communities online. So how long have you had your YouTube channel? Let's talk a little bit about how you've seen that evolving. It's about five, five years. I, I started the channel not long after I started the website. And that has really been it's been pretty frustrating to try and grow the subscriber base. That's, I'm sure you know yourself, but at that point aside, it's, it's gradually gotten the following and people have recognized, I'd like to think that I do genuine reviews. None of my reviews are paid for. I've got no advertising checks coming in for this bike. I don't believe in that sort of stuff. And I think, like I said, I think they're pretty genuine. I try and be very honest. And I, I've given grief many times in my videos to some of the, the bikes I've had, I don't want to name any names, but um, there's some dumb features I've seen on some of these bikes. I usually call them out, okay? But I try and balance reviews so it's not a complete slam fest because people are often thinking outside the box for some of these bikes, and I encourage yeah. that because a lot of bikes are so boring. Like, a lot of these manufacturers jump on the bandwagon and it's like, okay, let's get a road bike, give it bigger tire clearance and slap a bloody label on it. It's like, man, that's just a bogus cross bike with another name. Come on. So I really like some of the bikes I've seen. I'll, I'll plug one real quick. Niner, they've got this full suspension bike, the MCR. I'm reviewing it right now. The bike's bloody amazing. It's not for everybody, but that sort of bike, it thinks, it's thought outside the box. It's full suspension. It gets people into the sport who may not be so comfortable riding bumpy roads or going down crazy gnarly descents. So I really like those sorts of designs. It's just there's no rules in gravel, and I hope that stays. So you haven't got the UCI clamping down on what bikes you can ride, or you will say cycling as well. In fact, I did a video about that. I I, I should link it to you. I called it the um, ultimate anti-UCI gravel bike. That's not a story. I made fun of the UCI, basically. Well, we'll definitely put the links to that in the show notes, and I think that that brings my next question up perfectly, is looking at kind of the evolution of the bike, right? I mean... Mm. 
we don't need to go into Captain Hindsight on everybody's viewpoint on this, but we're now seeing, I think, basically people coming in from road or cross side or people coming in from a mountain bike side influence. And I feel like we ha- we're going to have more choice than ever. And people might identify with their past identities as a roadie or a cross person or a mountain biker and think this is more for me. But really, it's more about looking at where you're going to be riding the bike and the type of um, experience that you want to have. So for me personally, like I would like to have one bike that does it all, even though I love bikes and would love to have five. That's just not my reality, especially now going through it. We're going through what are the things like people can look at instead of looking at this came from this side or this came from this side. Like, how would you approach this? If you were a person who just was like, I'm really curious about joining the gravel cycling community. I want to do more of these events. Where do I even start? That's kind of where I'm looking that's a good question. I mean, because there are so many choices and it can be pretty daunting, to be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some guides out there, I guess, have been written about what bike to choose. But I have, well, you can contact me through the website. and I've got two ways of doing that. And I get asked a lot of questions about how to choose a bike. I try not to name brands and whatnot, but I try and advise people on what sort of rider you're trying to do. You're going to ride or you're going to race. And also your locality depends a lot about the bike. What needs you might have in Colorado are very different from, from say, Northern California. So those are the sort of things you have to look at. It's just, I mean, you turn back the clock, say, four years, so much has changed with the development of the bike. It's staggering the amount of bikes now. It's almost hurts my head thinking about it. But, uh, yeah, um, it's, I don't know, there's no ultimate dual-door bike, I don't think. And uh, all I can say to that question, Kristen, if anyone wants to ask me a question about what bike they should buy, you can ask me, but I'm not going to name a brand. I'm going to just mention some of those guidelines, like I suggested, because I don't really want to shoot all myself into one brand. Well, and it's so interesting, because if you look at how um, the bike shops have served this consumer that I'm describing, now this consumer comes in with a lot of, YouTube content or a lot of, you know, they've done their homework, they've been watching things and then they go to a shop. And honestly, sometimes you can't find bikes to test. And there are very few places outside of these events that might be incredibly intimidating for people to go to a demo or an expo to see this. So my hope is that as we're becoming more consumer friendly and cycling through all the changes that are happening right now, that we will have a way to potentially enable consumers to test this product because it's a big investment. So I always go back to my sister-in-law, Carter, and she's, you know, in her mid fifties, super fit from doing all her spin classes and everything like that. She lives in Houston and watched all of my crazy shenanigans last year doing Leadville and Steamboat and all these other things. And literally like, she's like called me one day. She's like, I really am wanting to do this. I want to get off the road. I want to get outside of the gym. And she just went down to four different shops in Houston. Three of them treated her like she was an idiot. And then she went to the one that was just fantastic and spent two days with somebody there, like in the afternoon for a couple hours testing bikes. And she ended up getting a BMC URS and loves it. They fit her and she will not buy anything from any store, any other store, but that place. Like that's how much it meant to her to be treated like that. So I just want to put a shout out there because I have a lot of small, like especially brands and retailers that listen to this. I really believe that as we're able to come back from this, like that experience is going to really win the day, especially in something like gravel, because people just want to be part of it. And that shop experience is a big part of that. Like if you feel like you're being turned away at the door of a bike shop, you don't feel like you can join 
a community like gravel and like experience being part of that. And so I just want to emphasize that again. I put that out there as often as I can because I really think it's a powerful story. But yeah, I love that you brought up, I know we aren't supposed to mention brand names, but what you mentioned about the Niner, I think is super interesting. I do know there's more bikes than ever and that you are testing them throughout the year, right? I, I test about 12, 13 a year, usually stage them out once a month if everything goes to plan on the YouTube channel. I've got, uh, I think, about three or four right now. I've got more inbound, so it's a big first world problem to have. But the one thing I want to mention is that you don't need a fancy bike if you want to dip your feet into this sport. I mean, I started off doing this craziness on a mountain bike, okay, and I've seen mountain bikes at these events. That's totally fine. There's no bike rules. So I think it's important for people to realize that you don't have to spend a lot of money to start off and try it and see if you like it and then maybe go from there. And with my reviews, like I said, I, I try and review lots of different bikes. I reviewed a budget bike last year with $600. People, uh, like I said, are very blessed with choices right now. So that's a good problem to have because just I remember around 2011 when I mentioned earlier this race I was doing in North Carolina, we had one tire to shoes and it was a ghetto tubeless setup. That's where it was. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it so, was a lot of fun. <laughs> That's awesome. So let's, we're not going to, again, look at where we are kind of in Q1 of 2020. So let's just remove that from my next question. Sure. Where do you see gravel evolving to? I mean, you pretty much have seen fire and rain here, Jason. So mm. I'm sure you've developed a gut instinct. You're starting to really embed with a lot of the players on these press trips. You've gotten to know a lot of the race promoters. Mm. Um, where is it going and how can we keep it special? Like I alluded to earlier, I, I still I see this line forming of like these really big events and it's going to draw a different type of crowd. There's going to be people who want to race hard at the front. That's There's no problem with that. And it's going to be a lot of people there for the fun experience, hopefully. And we're also going to see, I think, 90% of the real events, in my mind, are going to stay the same. They're going to be smaller grassroots, Facebook type events, whatever. There's no prize money. I mean, I, none of us are doing this for prize money, I think. Well, maybe 99% of us are. I think as soon as you bring money in, it kind of changes things a little bit. So hopefully that mostly stays out of it. But um, I really do think that's going to be the thing. Hopefully USA Cycling stays away, UCI stays away, and keeps the 90% that I love so much going. Because most people, we're just there to have a good time and finish the ride. I don't care about my bloody time. I, I don't, I'm not worried about that at all. In fact, <laughs> I, I rode Steamboat Gravel as a tour last year. I stopped about 30 times, filmed all the rest styles, took a bunch of photographs. That's how I race. So <laughs> I bet you still beat my time. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. You know, it was funny. Um, now, if Mark is watching this, Mark Sakowitz, g'day, Mark. Those guys hammered me on the day before. I interviewed a bunch of riders, and every good cyclist has a bunch of excuses. I've got a ton of excuses. So when race day came around, I was supposed to do the 140 and my legs felt like absolute garbage. And living in Florida, you know, I'm at, I don't know, sea level, 135 feet. I can't train for 8,000 feet. So I said, okay, ruin the tour of Steamboat Springs today. And I had a lovely, lovely time. That's awesome. And no one really cared. They were just happy you were there. Yeah, no, no. I I met a lot of really cool people out there and, uh, that that race, the the scenery alone is a reason to do it. Oh my god, it's yeah. so beautiful. I know it's like a, a hidden gem. Wait till you see what we might pull out of Durango here in the next couple of years. Like I do think that there's going to be some sort of awesome event emerging from here. So 
There's a lot out there, but we will do it in the style that will keep things weird. That's the number one thing. I I literally feel um, even before all this mess that happened. I mean, I saw this incredibly funny um, thing on Instagram the other day that was like attention. It was like a fake press release announcing that 2020 was going to just be like skipped. And it was perfect. I was like, yes, that sounds good. But at the same time, even before all this happened, I, I have been talking a lot about how people don't want to follow institutions anymore. And they're really self-identifying with brands or things that they do in their free time with their passion. I mean, that has been true forever, I realized. But like the idea of like people forming communities around religion or government or UC, USA Cycling or whatever... I feel like the more that people can get away from that and fly their own flag and like join their people, that to me has already been in process. And my sense is that what's happening right now with this paradigm shift is going to make it even more powerful to like just break away from the herd mentality, frankly. And we don't need to have institutions to identify who we are anymore. It's, it's more just getting together with people who like the same thing you do and go have fun. Exactly. Spot on. Actually, one thing I want to mention real quick, and it's going back to uh, talking about events. The one thing I like about a lot of these smaller events is how a lot of them bring their own unique kind of style of doing things. There's a race out in California. It's called Rock Cobbler. I've never done this race, but I want to do it. It's on my list. The uh, promoter, Sam Ames, he's a pretty nice bloke. He has like, there's a drill sergeant on course. You get to some the top of some climb and you have to drop and do 20 push ups. I think <laughs> this is madness, man. And you run through some guy's house. I mean, that sort of stuff. I have an event down here in uh, Gainesville that I run. It's on Facebook. It's completely free and it's called The Heartbreaker. It's a homage to Tom Petty. He's originally from Gainesville. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us. But my event. Um, it starts off as a neutral rollout. And if you want to ride hard, that's up to you. It's not a race, but people ride hard. And when we cross the finish line, so to speak, we all regroup. And my, one of my friends rides the course toting a Bob trailer full of beers. So we have the beer wagon and everyone has nice beers after the ride. Then we ride back into town together and have even more beers. So a lot of these events are getting little cute, cute things like that, which I think is awesome which you don't see the big race. So I, I want, that's one of the reasons I want to see that sort of stuff stick around. Right. Did you race. say beer wagon or beer wagon. wagon? That's what it's called, the beer wagon. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's a perfect way to reuse a Bob trailer as well. And I might have one of those stuffed in my garage somewhere. So uh, I might pull out little, my own beer wagon. Yeah. Just need to lash a core to it, chuck in some really crap beer and uh, meet some people for rides. Awesome times. And it's great training. As he takes a pull of his jolt cola. And I think mm. that's a perfect way for us to close today, everybody. <laughs> Jason, it's been awesome having you here. I needed this uh, boost of just laughing in, in this whole moment that we're living through. I can't wait to see how your, your channel and your community continue to evolve. Thank you for all you've done to help build where we are today. And I know you're one of the people who will keep it sacred and special. So thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you're finding value in the Channel Mastery Podcast, and I certainly hope you are, I'd love to ask that you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as rate and review the show on iTunes. Doing so helps more people discover the content, more specialty business and brand leaders can be helped by the incredible resources we're offering every week on the show. 
I also would like to invite you to join our community at channelmastery.com or verdepr.com. Sign up with your email and you'll receive special resources and content created just for friends of the podcast. You'll also receive advance notice of new Channel Mastery trainings and offerings. Thanks for listening and see you next week.